the Warriors looked terrible. You know, the National Football League, in my opinion, and I think a lot of other people's opinion, it might be the number one spectator sport, at least in North America. I think obviously around the world, it's another form of football, but it's soccer. But in North America, I think the most popular viewership sport is still the National Football League, regardless of how bad Jane Goodell's husband continually seems to want to fuck it up. But I have a, I have a really... I talked about it briefly when Chris and I were making our picks for week number eight's action in the National Football League, and more specific in, in and around the New England-Cleveland game, which happens uh, Sunday afternoon from Foxborough. And if, and it's not an if, when the New England Patriots continue their undefeated season and improve their record to 8-0, after they do that, that will be Bill Belichick's 300th National Football League win. But here's where I find it preposterous in regard to the National Football League and their record keepers, the guys that are the historians, the guys that, that, uh, that keep the numbers and, you know, they find out about what Dan Fouts did on third and four. You know, unbelievable. These guys got to get out of their mother's basements. Nahid Denchi. But it's preposterous to me that the National Football League does not acknowledge playoff wins. I think that's preposterous. It's the same thing, you know, again, when I go back to default mode, it's always back to the Green Bay Packers, but the record holder for consecutive games played is a guy by the name of Favre, Brett Alonzo Favre. You know of him, played at Southern Mississippi. That's his real middle name? Yeah. <laughs> Brett Alonzo Favre. Yeah. Wow. Uh, there's some alcohol involved. Okay. Anyway, um, but Brett Favre had a consecutive games streak of 321 games when it finally broke that second last year, or that last year that he was in Minnesota in 1989 or whatever. I don't know, whatever, 1999, whenever it was. That last season in Minnesota, when it finally, with the concussion, when he got his head banged off the turf at uh, that temporary stadium. They played those two years while they were building the new U.S. Bank in downtown Minneapolis. They played two years at the University of Minnesota field as their home field. And that second-to-last game of the year, Brett Favre bounced his head off of the uh, turf, and he was done for the year with a concussion. That broke or that stopped his consecutive game streak at 321 consecutive games. But in the NFL record books... That streak is only 298 games because they do not consider that streak to include playoff games, which I think is preposterous. I think it's dumb as dirt. Bill Belichick runs into something like this this weekend because after the New England Patriots dismantle the Cleveland Browns this weekend in Foxborough, that will be the 269th regular season victory, coaching victory, for Coach Belichick. But you add his 31 playoff victories to that number, and even I can figure out 269 plus 31 is 300. 
that puts Belichick at the 300-win category. Conversely, the all-time winningest coach in National Football League history is a guy named Shula, Don Shula, first for the Baltimore Colts and then for the Miami Dolphins. Shula ended his career with 347 all-time wins, but the National Football League only gives him credit for 321, excuse me, 328, because he won 328 regular season games. They don't count his 19 wins, his 19 playoff wins. George Hallis, Puppa Bear, he ended up with 324 all-time wins, but the National Football League only gives him credit for 318 regular season wins because Puppa Bear, they don't give him credit for the six playoff games that he won. Why is that? That is just preposterous. I think I think it's preposterous because as a coach, you're grinding all the time. You're grinding seven days a week to try to figure out how to beat your opponent. But I think it's even more of a grind when you're trying to figure out a playoff opponent because there is, you know, there is, what's the word I'm looking for? But when that game is over and you come out on the, on the losing side, your season's over. If you're in week seven, you still have week eight, nine, 10, and so on and so forth. But in the playoffs, it's literally week to week. And you don't tell me a coach shouldn't get, you know, consideration or shouldn't be part of his consecutive game streak because it wasn't in the regular season to me yes you have to have a regular se- a successful regular season to get into the postseason no question Helen Keller can figure that one out but I can't see why you wouldn't give a coach or a player credit in a consecutive game scenario having played or coached in a game why you wouldn't give him credit for playoff games because again, I don't think, I think obviously in the National Football League, there's a lot of pressure every week, no question. But think about the pressure amped up about a thousand percent when you're down to one of what, 12 teams at the end of the year? Yeah, 12 teams. You're one of 12 teams. The year starts out with 32 teams. By the time you get to week 17, you're down to 12 teams. Week 18, which we're now into week one of the playoffs, all of a sudden you're down to you're down to what? 10 teams. I mean, I just don't understand why the National Football League does not give Brett Favre full credit for 321 consecutive games started, which as an active player in the National Football League and how vicious and ferocious and how physical it is to play National Football League, even at the quarterback position, um, to make it 321 consecutive games but only get credit for 298, that's preposterous. And the same thing for Belichick and the same thing for Coach Shula and the same thing for Papa Bear Hallis. Why weren't they given full credit for Shula's 347 wins, Hallis's 324 wins, and soon to be, in about 24 hours, Belichick's 300th win as a National Football League coach? I think it's just to try to make the field a little more even. So it's kind of reflective on how many seasons they played and how many chances they kind of got to get that many wins. And if you add it in the playoffs, it just kind of skews it. Uh, I guess if someone like Belichick is in an easy division and makes it all the time, and there were maybe some other good coaches who had tougher competition, maybe that's why. But uh, I guess it just makes it seem a little bit more 
even. But uh, yeah, if you want to really maximize the person's legacy, you'd look at the whole thing, including playoffs. And uh, it certainly makes Brett Favre's uh, Ironman streak even that much more amazing. Although we have seen a shocking amount of people look like they're on the way to that, those records too. I mean, Eli Manning, if he would have stayed good right. enough, would have looks like he could have made it. He never missed a game. Uh, Philip Rivers... Um, um, Matt Ryan um, until this week, right? And and uh, Archie's first son, yeah, Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning until he Archie's he, first son. <laughs> yeah. Until he needed a new neck, uh, he 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 was uh, he was doing well too. So uh, it's just amazing. Like of all positions, the quarterback, like that's impressive for a kicker to play that many games in a row. Never mind uh, quarterback. That's wild. Well, that's, that's amazing. And that's you know that's the biggest difference for me between Favre and Rogers. Besides the fact that Favre was a gunslinger and Rodgers is a tactician, but we've seen that Rodgers is susceptible to injuries with both collarbones, right collarbone, left collarbone, broke in the last couple of years. The knee problem last year, even though he persevered through it. But I have seen Brett Lorenzo Favre. That is his middle name, Lorenzo. I have seen Brett Lorenzo Favre play on with torn knee ligaments i've seen him play with a busted up ankle and but any position any position to make it 321 consecutive starts is unfathomable in my opinion in this day and age because what what drives a guy to make 16 starts a year what i mean there's they're still getting paid with the guaranteed contracts and everything else what drives a guy Besides his professionalism and his passion for the game, sure. But I don't think everybody is as passionate as Brett Lorenzo Favre is or was in regard to... And it's really funny for Brett Lorenzo Favre to sit here, and I don't know why I keep giving all three names. It's just kind of fun to listen to. But Brett Favre has actually come out recently and said in an interview that, you know, you know, shucks, maybe I did play too long. You think, Brett? <laughs> you got brain damage, man. But I just I, I don't understand why. I, I and I and I and and I think Chris is right. It's it's about competitiveness. It's about adaptability and yada yada yada. But if you take pride in what you do, regardless of of what you do, if you take pride in it, your goal should be to be there every day. Um, I thought in the eighth grade, which was a hundred years ago for me, I thought it was a big thing to make it. And I got a little, I got a little thing at the end of the school year that said perfect participation or perfect attendance. I was there every day. Well, part of that was, is my mother was a teacher at that same school. So I didn't have a chance to cut school. I made up for it when I got to high school, let me tell you. But Chris takes a great amount of pride in his job and he does a very great job at it. But Chris is there every time. But do we put him in the record books? No. I'm just saying in this instance, I don't understand why they don't acknowledge playoff wins. It's it's uh, kind of funny to me. National Football League is where I want to stay for this next thing. And you know you have in uh, the National Hockey League, as an example, usually, what is it, mid-February or so? Usually with about... 15 games. This is one thing I don't like about the National Hockey League is they don't give enough time, in my opinion, for the trading deadline. And then they don't give enough time to get guys acclimated to their new teams before the end of the season. I think that they need to move up the trading deadline a little bit in the National Hockey League. 
conversely, you have the same thing in, in um, the NBA, which is it's a big thing when they come up on the trading deadline, the last day that you can actively trade somebody. The National Football League for years has always had a trading deadline, but because it's so hard in the National Football League to make a trade because you have to make salaries match and you have to get, you know, match team A with team B with the same assets that you're bringing in with the same payables that are going out, okay? The National Football League trading deadline has not been as publicized or as looked forward to as the National Hockey League or the NBA or certainly Major League Baseball. Everybody knows that the last day of July is the Major League Baseball trading deadline. But this Tuesday, I don't know what day it is, October whatever, end of October, doesn't matter. But Tuesday is the day this week that the NFL's trading deadline this year might have some significance to it. We've already seen some teams acknowledge that, A, their season's done, and B, let's trade whatever we have left, any assets that we have, let's start building for the future. I.e., you've already seen Mohamed Sanu being traded from the Atlanta Falcons to the New England Patriots. And I have a question for you about the New England Patriots in a second. But you also have that other guy, the wide receiver Sanders, don't remember his first name, being traded from Denver to San Francisco. There's a lot of people out there in the internet world that want to see the Green Bay Packers trade for AJ Green from the Cincinnati Bengals to help our depleted to help our depleted wide receiver core. I don't know if it's that depleted when your quarterback throws five touchdown passes and has a passer rating of 158.3 last week against the Oakland Raiders when you don't have Devontae Adams. Pretty damn good when you don't have your number one guy. I don't know if the Packers, you know, it was a huge thing for the Packers to do the foray that they did into unrestricted free agency um, last March or whenever it was. I don't know if the Packers are. I mean, every time a guy comes up, they think, well, the Packers should trade for this guy. The Packers could trade for this guy. The Packers need. Come on, guys. Enough is enough. But I think there could be some action uh, on this week in the National Football League with their trading deadline coming up Tuesday. Um, I think. There are going to be some um, moves made. I think Miami will probably make a few moves. I think they'll get rid of that running back. I can't remember his name, but there's another guy that everybody thinks the Packers should trade for as a guy that can catch the, the pass out of the backfield. Did you see the catch Aaron Jones made last week against the Raiders? He can catch the damn ball. I just think for the first time in many, many years, we are going to see some activity at the National Football League trading deadline come Tuesday afternoon. Yeah, it's really hard to predict always. We've already seen some moves, and we've seen some odd ones by the Patriots as well. I mean, trading a second-round pick for Mohamed Sanu, everyone was just baffled at that. Everyone thought it should be a seventh or something. And I know that, I I mean, I I can see why that's a great player for them. Bill Belichick loves those reclamation projects. He loves, you know, veteran receivers that he thinks still have something left. Sanu was a quarterback in college and has had uh, used to have a lot of great plays with the Cincinnati Bengals mm-hmm. where he'd do trick plays and all that type of stuff. And so I think Bill Belichick, if he really puts his mind to it, is really going to use Sanu uh, quite well. But there's still no reason to give up a second-round pick for him. I mean, there's guys worse or better only, than that that have gotten, you know, fetched less. The only thing I can think of is that Sanu's contract runs through next season. 
could that be something why they sweeten the deal a little bit because they have control of Sanu at least for the rest of this year and next year contractually there's, i don't think there's anything you can do to justify a second okay. round pick well, that was in, my, in my opinion that yeah. was my yeah my second question is to you in regard to josh gordon they put him on ir last week i heard yesterday i think it was that the patriots are expected to release him in one in one or two weeks when his knee is back healed and since they put that designation on his when they assigned him to ir they put that designation that he is supposed to be at least healthier where he can get back on the field in one and two weeks. And at that time, they will have to release him. Is that the reason they bring in Sanu? Well, yeah, they needed a receiver. And I, I mean, you'd have to think that the reason they gave up the second round pick is because they felt pretty desperate. But there's no reason to be that desperate, I don't think. But yeah, they have moved on from Josh Gordon. He has played his last game as a New England Patriot. And some other team can pick him up this year, right. and I hope they do. He should still have a lot of tread left on his tires from all the years he missed. And so, I mean, yeah, I think someone will pick him up. And uh, and yeah, but yeah, he is definitely done in New England. Well, it just seems so strange because they've seemingly been very patient in New England, waiting for Gordon, waiting for him to serve his suspension time. And then all of a sudden, um, he gets hurt couple weeks ago trying to tackle on a play and now his career in new england is done and the first thing that came to my sick mind of course was that he had a relapse with something substance but no that wasn't the case i just think i'm just i don't know i'm just kind of surprised you know they they even for new england this has been a weird year Mm -hmm. i mean think about it this way yes they're still playing in the afc worst but you know, think about it. They went out on a limb. They trade Demarius Thomas to the Jets, who's done some good things for the Jets this year. Um, and they did that because they knew that they were bringing Antonio Brown in. Antonio Brown lasts, what, two weeks? One week. Well, one week on the field, but I think he was still in Boston maybe 10 days. He was in Boston. He played one game, you're absolutely right, week two in Miami, scored a touchdown. Then he gets kicked to the curb because of his off-the-field issues and, well, just because of his lunacy going on between his ears. Um, but then this. They bring in Sanu, and they let Josh Gordon go. I mean, it's just, it, it's been kind of a weird year. I mean, I don't even know who the general manager is in New England. I think the de facto general manager, obviously, is Belichick. But uh, it has been a year of, of uh, a, it's been a different year, let's say, for the soon-to-be eight no New England Patriots, and then you get the noise this week that, and I agree with you, but I, I it's just funny that you hear that Giselle and Tom put their house up for sale in the Boston area, and Tom doesn't have a contract until, you know, doesn't have a contract after the Super Bowl this year, and there's been some potential noise that some guy on first take the other day, uh, that's uh, the Stephen A. Max Kellerman Scream Fest on ESPN early Monday weekday mornings. But um, there was some thought that Brady's going to go and try and play somewhere else next year. Let me tell you, folks, <clears throat> Tom Brady and I totally agree with what Chris said back a couple episodes ago, and I'm just reiterating it. Tom Brady, if this is it, if this is the last year of Tom Brady, so be it. Six rings, 
you know everything, potentially a seventh ring at the end of this year, first ballot Hall of Famer in five years. They may even they may even Wayne Gretzky him. And what I mean by that is it's supposed to be five years, but the National Hockey League only waited two before they put Wayne Gretzky in the Hall of Fame, and rightfully so. They may do the same thing for a guy like Tom Brady with six Super Bowl rings. They may do the same thing. But Tom Brady will never play I think I'm speaking for both of us now, but I don't think you'll disagree. Tom Brady, Tom Brady will never play for anybody else but the New England Patriots. It just, you talk about seeing something weird. You talk about Tom Brady showing up next year as the quarterback of the LA Rams. It would help the Rams in the short term. It would hurt Jared Goff in the short term, but you could see the connectivity because of LA and his wife's a model and yada, yada, yada. But regardless, I mean, Potentially, the best place for Tom Brady might be to play would be in Chicago because they've got a good defense, they've got an offensive-minded coach, and Mitchell Trubisky sucks. But I know I'm going long-winded here, but I don't think there's a snowball's chance in Phoenix that Tom Brady plays anywhere else but for the New England Patriots. And not only that, I don't think there is any chance that he plays for anyone other than Bill Belichick. If Belichick decides to retire, I think Tom's gone as well. I think Tom's going to not let us find out what would happen if he didn't have Belichick or didn't have the Patriots organization or any of that stuff, didn't have Dante Skarnecchia uh, coaching the right, O-line. Right, I mean, he's not going to, there's no reason for him to do that unless he's like, you know, an, uh, an Eli or someone where you have to drag him kicking and screaming because he can't <laughs> bear to be, you know, without his mm. beloved profession, which is possible, but I don't fully expect. Uh, he's just not going to give that up. He's going to just go with the luxury of having had all that, uh, at at his fingertips the entire career and uh, just nobody else has ever had an opportunity like that that I'm aware of and he's he's we're never going to find out what he is like or was like or could have been like without every possible advantage I do think though real quickly going back to the deadline on Tuesday for trades in the NFL and I'd like your opinion on this I do think some names are going to get moved on Tuesday. I just think that we've gotten to a point now, we know who the the R's and the R-nots are. We know the teams that are that are thinking that they're not only going to be playoff teams, but they have a, a chance at a deep playoff run and a potential Super Bowl appearance. I think you, you've got to put, uh, you know, uh, obviously New Orleans from the NFC, New Orleans, um, I think Green Bay, I think Minnesota, San Francisco for sure. L.A. is still there. Don't kid yourself. They had a little bit of a lull there, but the Rams are still there. They're still coached by a terrific football coach. And the one thing that I've been impressed with Snead, and more so since he's out of St. Louis now that he's in Los Angeles, obviously with the Jalen Ramsey trade of a week or so ago, he's not afraid to pull the trigger. I think there's some teams that are going to make some deals come Tuesday. I really do. Yeah, I think it's going to be teams just doing a fire sale. I, I would think of the Cincinnati Bengals, but all their guys are hurt and probably can't even be dealt anyway. Right. So yeah. I just what a brutal situation for them. It'd be interesting to see if the Miami Dolphins would trade Xavier Howard, try and get a first-round pick for him. They are, they are just loaded up with picks right now. I would think that that's one of the few guys they might actually keep, but uh, they're just ready to draft, draft, draft for sure. You'd think the Washington Redskins, maybe, but I mean, it's it's tempting to keep that D-line together, and what else are they really going to trade? So that's a weird one. I have one 
one weird belief. Mm -hmm. I do believe that the all-pro left tackle, the Washington Redskins, Mm -hmm. Trent Williams, is going to get traded on Tuesday. Uh, They should trade him, and the LA Rams are the team that should acquire him. Exactly. There's your exact answer right there. That is what I hope happens, and that's what should happen, and that's what I'd like to happen. Yeah, and I think our buddy Greg is in the same boat. He brings that up quite a bit. Uh, He would love to see Trent Williams go there because the O-line of the Rams has been really bad this year. Poor Andrew Whitworth is finally showing his age. John Sullivan's gone. Uh, They let even Roger Saffold go, and it just hasn't been the same. And, you know, Jared Goff is much maligned, but when he has time, he's very good. And, you know, he'll make the odd bad throw, but then he'll put a throw out there that's as good as anyone can do it like he will drop it right in the bucket and he he has all the potential in the world and he's you know he's very very good and he works with McVeigh really well and you know he's known as a hard worker and that's all great and he's a likable guy he's well spoken uh, but you know what he just he needs a better O-line I mean some guys can make up for that like Russell Wilson doesn't need a good O-line right? And he can just make it happen. But Jared Goff is the type of guy where he's like a Dak Prescott, maybe where you give him time and you give him a great O-line, he can do great. Like for me, you could put me beyond the best O-line in the world. There's only so well I'm going to do in the NFL. But uh, there's some guys who you give them a good O-line and they can be that they can be good. So to maximize their big recent investment in Jared Goff, the LA Rams need to get serious about an O-line. They've already got an embarrassment of Rich's other places like getting J- Jalen Ramsey was just like the rich getting richer and yep. just just almost embarrassing. So they need to make sure that they're if they're going to do that, they need to address the O line as well. They need to make some cap space and acquire and acquire Trent Williams. And I really hope that's what they do. I I didn't want to say this, but I was just thinking as I was rattling off those teams that I think from the NFC that have legitimate playoff aspirations and deep playoff runs. With the injuries in Kansas City and the downfall of the Los Angeles Chargers and the never knowing what they're going to do in Houston with butt chin, one week they look like they're Super Bowl contenders, the next week they look like they're bound for the lottery. I really think, again, unfortunately, unless Kansas City can get healthy and get healthy quick. I mean, Kansas City right now is still going to win the AFC worst, but are they fit enough to challenge the New England Patriots. I really think, I really believe this in my heart of hearts, that again, we're going to see the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl, and probably a lot of it is by default. I just, Kansas City is beat up. Some teams have been disappointing this year in the AFC for damn sure. I mean, nobody nobody expected Pittsburgh to be as bad as they have been. I think a lot of people... A lot of people were thinking that the Cleveland Browns were going to be the the next great thing, and we've seen that that hasn't worked out. Um, Baltimore, I mean, look at the losses Baltimore has sustained on defense. They lose C.J. Mosley to the to the Jets. They've lost the Darius Smith to the Packers, and they're still a fair to Midland defensive team. They're not as good as they've been in the past, but they're still okay Terrell Suggs to the cards as well Terrell exactly Terrell Suggs to the Cardinals I mean um I just I'm really scratching my head thinking and I and I do believe this because I said it earlier I believe that if Nick Foles is healthy 
with that defense, with Jalen Ramsey. Now, of course, he's in L.A., but I thought that potentially Jacksonville could be somebody's thorn in the side as an AFC playoff team. But, my God, I think just by default, it's going to be New England again. Probably. I have to imagine. I I would be shocked if this isn't the case. But the New England Patriots have to have the easiest schedule of any Super Bowl champion in history. I don't even know how it could be close. This is a first-place schedule. I mean, all they've played is terrible teams. I know. That's it. I know. I, know. I mean, I know they're good, but, uh, you know, coming up now, they're actually going to face some good quarterbacks at least. Uh, so that's, Yeah, but you I know, remember that's... you telling me one day about, and you ran through the schedule, and I thanked you for that. You ran through the New England schedule, and the only two games that we really thought when you rattled mm-hmm. those off that were, <clears throat> excuse me, that were going to be a challenge were going to be the Philadelphia Eagles mm-hmm. and the Kansas City Chiefs. And the Philadelphia Eagles are going in the wrong direction. I don't know what it is. And, you know, this was my team that I had picked to win or represent and win the Super Bowl for the NFC. I'm looking like a real, you know what? But, you know, with all these injuries in Kansas City, Jesus, I don't know. I, I just I just can't quite figure it out. And again, I go back to New England has not played anybody. And the team that they have played so far, they struggled with. Buffalo gave them a good game. Buffalo gave them a good game. They didn't, I mean, it wasn't good enough to win, but that was as close as a game. Think about it now. That might be the toughest game New England has this year. Mm -hmm. Might be. Um, The NBA. We need to say hi to the NBA. NBA is in a bunch of a turmoil right now with China over some, a, a controversial tweet that was tweeted out by Rockets general manager Daryl Morley about Hong Kong and and while they were over there trying to sell their brand to the Chinese, and I'm not going to get into that. But what I will say is that the NBA opened their doors on their 74th season this week, and um, a couple of trends I've already been able to see this year. And the first one is that the James Harden-Russell-Westbrook tandem in Houston isn't going to work. It just isn't going to work. You've got two alpha males that need the ball in their hands all the time. And you can't have two guys like that, in my opinion, in the same starting backcourt. You saw it on Thursday when they opened up. Here's why I saw the game, because they opened up against the Milwaukee Bucks. Milwaukee was down in the middle of the third quarter by 16 points. And Milwaukee came back and won by six. And here's how they did it. They held Harden to 19 points. They held Westbrook to 24. And um, Milwaukee can play some defense. But getting back to Houston, if Harden isn't shooting well and Westbrook isn't shooting well, you have nobody else to go to. They had some guy named House in their lineup. I don't know who the hell, where the fuck they found this guy. Clint Capella can only do limited things, and he's got to be getting a pass from James Harden to do anything at all. I don't see where all the enthusiasm is in regard to the Houston Rockets as them being a potential NBA championship team. I just don't see it. I've saw the Lakers, the Lakers and Clippers on Tuesday night opened to the best season opening ratings TNT has ever had when they opened up their season on Tuesday night at the at the uh, Staples Center. And here's what I saw. The Lakers are in trouble. That's what I saw. I saw the Lakers are in trouble because until they find a real center option and JaVale McGee and 
Jawan, or excuse me, um, Dwight Howard are not legitimate at this point in their careers are not legitimate NBA options at center. And ultimately, last night when the Lakers did win their first game of the year at home against the Utah Jazz, you know how they did it? Here's how they did it. Anthony Davis played center. That moves LeBron James down to power forward. LeBron had 30. Uh, Anthony Davis had 21. And the Lakers win by nine. Um, The Clippers are going to be very good. They're very tenacious. They play very much like their coach, Doc Rivers, did when he was playing at an all-star level when he played back in the day with the Atlanta Hawks. Kawhi Leonard is going to be Kawhi Leonard. And just think, folks, Kawhi Leonard gets doesn't have Paul George now probably until Christmas time because of an injury there. Um, in the East, it's Milwaukee's to lose. It's that simple, folks. And this is just from two or three games that I've seen. If Brooklyn had KD along with Kyrie Irving, then I'd probably have a little bit different opinion, but they don't. Joel Embiid is already hurt in Philadelphia. He won't play today when Philly gets back on the court later today. Uh, Boston, you know, Boston's got a lot of good talent, but remember, they lost Al Horford. They lost Kyrie Irving. They lost some pieces there. The East, folks, is simply this, Milwaukee or bust. Milwaukee sitting here. Kyle Korver came to Milwaukee this year to be a three-point option. Milwaukee is so deep. They played 12 guys the other night against Houston. Giannis fouls out with six minutes to go, and Milwaukee extends their lead. A lot of people are afraid that Milwaukee doesn't have a chance unless number 34 is on the floor. Problem. 34 fouled out with six minutes to go in the game, and Milwaukee extended their lead. That doesn't bode well for the rest of the East, folks. And I do have to say something about Toronto before I shut up and give Chris something to say. But Toronto tries hard. I really like Pascal Siakam, no question about it. But they went to overtime with New Orleans without Zion Williamson. Tell me that the Toronto Raptors aren't going to miss Kawhi Leonard. I mean, and again, it'd be the same thing if you took Giannis out of Milwaukee's lineup. Same thing if you take LeBron out of the Lakers lineup. You know? Um... But I will say this. I saw the Golden State Warriors last night in their home opener, Thursday night, excuse me, in their home opener against the Los Angeles Clippers. And um, I didn't realize that Golden State lost as much as they did. Now, Clay is hurt, may not play this year. I think we'll see him sometime in February. Kevin Durant obviously is now in Brooklyn. They lost some things, but they lost other guys too. They lost, people forget that they lost Andre Iguodala. They also lost Sean Livingston. They lost a lot of rotation bits when they've been on this dominant run the last five years. And they got their asses kicked Thursday night at home, opening up their new $2 billion arena in the off of Pier 7, right next to AT&T Park where the Giants play. Beautiful new building, $2 billion. And I'm telling you, folks, the Warriors looked terrible. And if they continue to look like that, though neither Chris nor I believe this, if they continue to look like that, getting that eighth spot in the Western Conference might be difficult for the Golden State Warriors.
Well, someone pointed out that Kawhi Leonard ruined both the last game at the Warriors' old arena and the first game at the new one. So, man, he is just making some waves there. Yeah, Toronto Raptors, no no one expects them to be as good without Kawhi. uh, But, yeah, yeah, Van Vliet and Siakam, nice start for uh, the future without him. And so that's cool. So good for them. And congratulations to Giannis on being the first buck in history to get a triple-double in a season opener, right. I believe. Look at you. Look at me. There we go. Mr. Basketball over here. Yeah, but uh, I'm not going to write off the Golden State Warriors just yet, by the way. I, I, I want to give them some time. Any team with Steph Curry. Look, if if the terrible Lakers can add LeBron and be okay, and any team can add Kawhi and be okay, then I think that the Golden State Warriors with, uh, with a healthy Steph Curry can also be okay. I don't think that they're going to miss the playoffs. Although, who was it? Charles Barkley the other day saying that they're going to miss the playoffs. Yep. I think you're getting way ahead of yourself one game into the season. Oh, I totally agree with you. You know, let's calm down, Chuck, and uh, <laughs> let's just uh, let's just relax before we write off Steph Curry one game into the season. Before we get out of here on this uh, 414th episode of Unscripted, I do need to make one college football note. And this is, and I'm saying this and wrote this well before what happened on Saturday in regard to Ohio State, Wisconsin. Ohio State kicked the hell out of the Badgers. Final was 38-7 Ohio State. But I got to tell you something. You see all these teams in the NFL that are supposedly, you know, laying down and dying, i.e. the Miami Dolphins, i.e. the Washington Redskins, i.e. plethora of other teams, but notably those two, Cincinnati Bengals. But let me tell you something, folks. Everybody seems to be all gung-ho about the quarterback Tua from Alabama, and I'm not even going to try his last name. Chris got it right, but I'm not going out there. Tua, a lot of people are looking at him. They're looking at Justin Hebert from Oregon as the top two quarterbacks in this upcoming draft. Fine and dandy. They they still potentially are the you know the best two quarterbacks, but what I'm trying to say here in some ill-begotten way is that the best player in the draft might be the defensive end from the Ohio State University, and his name is Chase Young. If you haven't had a chance to watch this young man play, I think he's better than the last two Boses that have been through Ohio State, Nick and Joey. They're great football players, both first-round draft picks. This young man, Chase Young, uh, might be the best of all of them. He's got the speed to take you around the outside. He's got the power to go on a stunt on the inside and just blow up your whole offensive line. And let me tell you, folks, if you're watching Ohio State play, look for number two on the left side. He is awesome. His name is Chase Young. And it's funny, not my favorite football coach, but now, coincidentally, one of my favorite studio analysts for college football, one Urban Meyer, when he isn't teaching his ethics class at Ohio State, (laughs) Urban Meyer is very good in television. I mm. got to admit. Okay. He's very insightful. He makes it he makes it for the Joe average fan. He can make it where they understand what he's talking about. I understand what he's talking about, but I've been in football immersed in football my whole life. He makes it he makes it understandable, and I'll give him that much. I'll give him that credit. He's very good at breaking down film, but I found it something and when a guy who's won Three national championships. He won. Uh, he went in his seven years at Ohio State. He went eighty-two and nine, and won a national championship at Ohio State. So as much as I don't like the guy, I respect the guy. 
But he came out and said last week on Fox that Chase Young is the best athlete that he ever recruited at Ohio State. And for him to say that, with all the great athletes that have come through Ohio State, and I'll start with the cornerback from the New England or the New Orleans Saints, Lattimore, all the great athletes that have gone through the horseshoe at Ohio State, for Urban Meyer to say that. And remember, Urban Meyer coached our friend Tim Tebow to two national championships and a Heisman Trophy at Florida. He knows what he's doing. He knows how to coach the game. I think next year Urban Meyer will be coaching the USC Trojans, but that's just my belief. Regardless of all that extra crap, he knows what he's talking about, and when he says Chase Young is the best athlete that he has ever recruited to Ohio State, I think that says volumes. Yeah, the Wisconsin Badgers made the mistake today of thinking it would be a good idea to use a tight end to block Chase Young, and that, as uh, predicted, led to thirty-eight to seven and a quarterback fumble. But so, yeah, I'll keep my eye on this guy. I'm sure he'll go. You know, you know what I would think. Uh, I would just. I'm gonna just super early projection right now. I'm gonna say the Miami Dolphins take uh, Tua at number one. I'm gonna say then that the Cincinnati Bengals take Justin Herbert number two to not only succeed Andy Dalton, but also I think there could be a bit of a competition there because Ryan Finley, the backup for the uh, Cincinnati Bengals has looked excellent whenever yes, he, he gets a chance. It's a great point. So I'm, I mean, so that would they might even if they believe in him enough, they could even not draft uh, Herbert and maybe they take Chase Young instead. But if they decide to go ahead with Herbert, then maybe the Washington Redskins. You know, you take Chase Young on one side, Ryan Kerrigan on the other, with that great D line, the Alabama yeah. boy, the Bama boys. Right, right. You've got something to build around there. You know, you start getting a secondary, and all of a sudden maybe you have a, a defense to build a team around, and maybe you can. Uh, you know, get back. You've already got Dwayne Haskins, who hasn't looked good, but I mean, like, let's coach the guy up. And I think that'd be interesting. But what I wanted to ask you about Wisconsin, let's say Wisconsin destroys Illinois last week, because I have to imagine part of this was maybe giving up because they figured their season's over. So let's say they destroy Illinois last week. Do you think they go into Ohio State this week and lose 38-7? Yeah. Really? I, I really I, do. I, I, I don't I, think they do. I think Ohio State is that good. I really do. And if, you know, let's, you know, Chris, after the, after the performance that they gave last week at Illinois, they had to have their performance of the season and their performance of the season, Ohio State was 31 points better. But, but did they give up because their season's over? Well, at halftime, it was still only 10, nothing. Okay. So I, you know, I think Wisconsin, listen, (laughs) Wisconsin, Wisconsin has all right, let me I'm gonna be as honest as I can be. There are some limitations in recruiting at Wisconsin that you don't have at Ohio State. Sure. Or you don't have at an oh, SEC sure, school. Because you have to have a brain to get into the University of Wisconsin and you can't just be the prototypical dumb jock. There are some guys on the Ohio State roster that could not get academically admitted to the University of Wisconsin. And I think what Wisconsin does better than any school in the country, and this is not my bias toward them, it is just the fact. And the fact of the matter is, I don't think Wisconsin Wisconsin plays and does as well as they possibly can under some limitations because of their, their, their they're hampered by the recruiting and the, and the uh, uh, academic requirements to get into the University of Wisconsin. But they do as much with as little as possible than any team in the country. 
Every team on Wisconsin's schedule from the Power Five conferences probably has better athletes than Wisconsin. Wisconsin's got Wisconsin, the state of Wisconsin produces big, huge offensive linemen. That's what we produce. And that's why you see a run-based offense. People forget that Jonathan Taylor, his first, now he's out of the Heisman running now, but his first uh, acad- or his first athletic scholarship was offered to him by Harvard because of how smart he is. Um, but again, we are limited at Wisconsin as to what we can recruit and what we can't recruit. There are some unbelievable athletes that would probably like to come to Wisconsin, but they can't get in academically, and so they go somewhere else. Um, I'm not saying that as an excuse. I'm not saying that as a hindrance. That's what the fact of the matter is. Fact of the matter last year, Tony Granado, who took over a couple years ago after a successful NHL career, not only on the, on the ice, but also behind the bench of a number of NHL teams, he took over at his alma mater last year as the head hockey coach at the University of Wisconsin. And everybody on Tony's team had a grade point average of over 3.0 last year. That's impressive on a 25-man hockey roster to have everybody over a 3.0 grade point average. And that's what we have to recruit to, and that's what we have to work with when you're talking about athletes at the University of Wisconsin. We've got to run on this 414th episode of Unscripted. Free Forum Friday is next as we wrap up another great week of shows. We thank you for participating, and as always, hope that you continue to do so. Having said all that, for the executive producer of Unscripted, Mr. Chris Fluke, I'm Mike Jansen. Until next time.